Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me, I'm your host. You recognize likely my voice and my mug as I'm privileged to host both of the On Leadership podcast and C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller for Franklin Covey, the most trusted leadership development firm in the world. And each week we try to have conversations with icons from all types of industries, all backgrounds, all paths to the C-Suite. And today, we have an amazing guest. She is the Chief Content Officer at Coursera. Her name is Betty Vandenbosch, and she's joining us from Chicago today. Betty, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Thanks so much, Scott. I'm uh, delighted to be here. Hey, it's our honor. We are in complimentary missions, both the Franklin Covey Company, in terms of you know igniting the genius and learning in people and organizations. Your organization, of course, is at the top of the list in terms of helping to democratize and transform education, people's skills, their careers, their livelihoods, their legacies. So today, I'm very excited about talking about our dedication to the co-mission. You had a long uh, professional career in academia, academia both in the um, not-for-profit and for-profit sector. I'd love it today. Betty, would you take a few minutes and maybe walk us through what has been your career path and how you've made it to the C-suite now at Coursera? Oh, my goodness. It's, uh, it was a, it's been a while. I've been doing lots and lots and lots. I, um, I started the interesting part of my career, I suppose, uh, right after university. I was in... Uh, I did an undergraduate degree in computer science back when nobody even knew what computer science was. And it kind of just interested me. So I did that. I worked for a few years, realized that I was not well cast as a computer programmer. In fact, I was pretty terrible. <laughs> so I went back, got an MBA, worked at McKinsey and Company for seven years, had a kid, decided that I wanted to have more control over my time, so got a PhD and then worked uh, at Case Western Reserve University for 15 years. And this is really where my management career began. The last few years, I ran executive education at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve. And that made me realize that while teaching was fine and I love to teach people and also uh, research is fine, I really like to get things done through other people. And so I moved from Case Western Reserve to Kaplan University. I gave up tenure. The reason that I did that is um, I'm a little bit of a risk taker and I felt that it was really important for me to work with people who may not otherwise have the chance to finish their education. Anybody who goes to a university like Case Western Reserve has a leg up already. They're very clever, they're very rich, something already has given them a leg up. And so I went to Kaplan University, a university that teaches, or that taught, I should say, taught folks from all, all kinds of people from all aspects and from all kinds of locations and helped them get their first degree, get their second degree through online education. Kaplan University was purchased by Purdue, and I became the chancellor of Purdue University Global. I did that for a couple of years, and then Coursera came calling. Now, why did I move from Purdue Global to Coursera? Same reason. I am completely committed to helping people who need help get the education that they need so they can change their lives, not only for themselves, but for their families. 
And of course, Coursera's stage is so much bigger than anything that Purdue Global can do because we are educating the world. So let's talk about that. A remarkable journey. Thank you for kind of walking us through. I think it's fascinating for everyone to listen. What part of that was very deliberate? What part of that was maybe serendipitous, right? What part of that was a big pivot for you or a self-disruption? Started as a computer scientist and now you are a chief content officer at a global educator. Uh, there's some connection there, interesting light across, the, right, yeah. across that spectrum. Uh, we educate and reorient our listeners and viewers to Coursera's mission, where they find you, what type of courses you offer. Talk a little bit about the mission of Coursera. So Coursera for me is the most exciting place on the planet. Coursera has a mission that is based on the fact that everyone deserves high quality education. And by everyone, we mean everyone. Uh, we do that through online learning with our partners. Our partners are the ones who bring education to us and we put it on our platform in collaboration with them. High quality education is something that not everyone has access to, but because of the work that our partners do with us, there are folks across the globe who can learn from the likes of Stanford, Michigan, Princeton, Yale, you know, not you name it, we don't have every university in the globe, but many outstanding universities. We also have outstanding universities in India. We have many IITs, IIMs. We have outstanding universities in Latin America. We uh, have outstanding universities in the UK. We are educating the world by partnering with the best educators across the world. Now, why is that so important? Because when somebody learns, they can move to a better job. They develop a skill, they can move to a better job. They can then learn more. Uh, one of the most exciting things that we do is we help people change their careers. We uh, offer them introductory programs. So if they wanna pivot, you know, you've been doing a job, it's no longer a job that people need as much. That happened a lot during the pandemic, of course. You can pivot. You pivot into something that's a digital job. You study with us for six months. You can get a new job. You're making more money. And then you can go on to get your bachelor's degree, your master's degree. All of that can happen as a consequence of that first step to decide, I want to pivot. I want to move into the digital world. That's just one example of how this works. Betty, well articulated. Clarify for our millions of listeners and viewers that might be learning about Coursera for the first time. Are you mainly focused on technical training and certificate uh, types of accomplishment? Are you also helping people secure undergraduate and graduate degrees? Talk about the range of your education. Of course, uh, we do everything from projects that take less than an hour, clips that give you five or 10 minutes of something you need right now, all the way through courses, specializations that teach you a specific skill, certificates that teach you what you need for a particular job through bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. So we run the gamut. Now, what's so exciting about all of this is that this learning stacks on top of its, on top one after the other, after the other. 
uh, a typical learner journey is someone says, well, I want to do something. They take a course, they get excited by it. They take a specialization. Then they realize that there's a degree. That specialization in some instances then articulates. So somebody who's done the specialization goes into a degree and doesn't have to do it again. They've already learned it. They go into a degree and on and on and on. So it's stacking learning to meet an individual's needs. But to that point, is most of it self-directed learning? A professional who wants to change their trajectory decides to self-enroll and then it stacks up to some other life change? Or is most of it organization funded and companies are offering your courses to their employees to better their own skills in, in, in professional development? What's that mix look like? So what I've just done is described what we do with individuals, people who come to our platform. We also work with companies who recognize the skills that they need for their employees because they may want to pivot. They may want to do digital transformation and their folks are brilliant, but they're not exactly ready. So companies come to us and then offer their employees the kinds of courses that will help them build the specific skills that the company needs to move forward as a company, but also so that folks who work for that company can move forward as individuals. We have something called academies where different levels of the organization need different levels of depth in terms of learning. And those academies lay that out very, very clearly. So that's the way that we work with companies. We also work with universities. Um, the, not our partners, the folks who bring us content, but universities around the globe who need more immediate high quality content to support their learners. One terrific example of this is something we call the Career Academy. When somebody does an undergraduate degree, they're, they've learned an incredible amount, but they may not yet have the specific skills to be job ready. So what the Career Academy does is provides university students with the opportunity to look at all the careers that are possible with the work that they're learning at school and gives them the specific skills that they need so they can go to that job interview with confidence because they've tried it. So that's one example of how we work with universities. Of course, during the pandemic, we offered university students across the globe any learning on Coursera absolutely free because we recognized that the whole world was stuck. And we felt it was our responsibility in collaboration with our partners who agreed with us that for that awful time in 20 and you know basically 20 in the beginning of 21, we offered everything for free to uh, university students across the globe. What a great abundance mentality you've had to give back during this massive disruption. We'll talk about that disruption in just a few minutes. Let's talk about that crucial transition between college and the workforce. Assuming someone gets out of school and they have XY degree and they now have a salary job at some organization, what does your research show are the biggest skill gaps that people are coming out of college with, whether they have a chemical engineering degree or an English degree or a writing degree, whatever it is, what are some of the biggest skill gaps you're finding employers are trying to address? I'm guessing they're probably soft skills, but what, is that, what does that so, chasm look like? You know, it's a combination. Of course, it's the hard skills, 
it's one thing to learn about a, a theory. It's one thing to learn about concepts, but then you have to be able to put them into practice. And I think you probably never have enough practice. You never have the exact specifics that you need. Once you join a company and you're in your first job out of university, the skills you need are you need to learn how to work. You need to learn how to work with folks. You need to learn how to team. You need to learn how to negotiate. You need to learn how to present, how to communicate. All of those things are important. And people come to them, come to their jobs with very different levels of capability in all those areas. And part of that is personality. And part of it is the kind of education that they took. If someone has a master's or a bachelor's in fine arts and recognizes they're not going to be able to work um, as, a, as an artist in whatever, they can then come to Coursera and learn something in the world of digital. They might be a wonderful project manager, but they've already got many of those skills that are considered the soft skills because you know, they performed on stage. They did all kinds of things that you don't think of someone who becomes a project manager being able to do. So that person needs the project management skills. Somebody else who comes with a chemical engineering degree needs some of the leadership and management and just self-management skills that come yeah. along with having a job. Yeah, it makes sense. Do you find, as you look across all of those college entrances into the corporate workforce, do you find in 2022 that there's two or three skills, project management, conflict resolution, presenting skills, writing skills? Are there a couple that bubble to the top that you say employers are looking to enroll their new oriented, if you will, uh, employees into? Are there a couple that, that are kind of ubiquitous? One of the most important uh, academies that we offer is our Leadership Academy. Hmm. And the Leadership Academy has several skills that you develop that relate to first off managing yourself, then managing a team, managing an organization and managing a network. And those skills are the ones that people need to hone throughout their entire career. I still work on managing a network, managing myself, thinking about how I can help the people that work with me do better. I really don't think that this is something once and done. This is something that you evolve with throughout your entire career. And that's why we have a leadership academy for folks who are at different stages in their career. So everyone can learn, change, and grow. Let's talk about online learning. You and I have been in this business for decades, me a little longer than you. I'm clearly older than you are, but I think your experience probably is more in depth than mine is, at least broader. Online learning has changed a lot, right? In 2022, what makes a great online learning experience? Is there, guys, did you have a formula for it's 42 minutes, it's this many videos, this much interaction, this much research? Do you have anything as companies, as individuals are looking at choosing providers, they're choosing universities, uh, I'm guessing the online world is exploding post-pandemic. We'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah. What, is there a formula that you say, we found this works best? So yes, I, I'm hesitant to call it a formula mm -hmm. because of course, the way that you learn computer science is different than the way that you learn negotiation. 
But nevertheless, there are some basics that all folks should be thinking about. First off, I think many people are enamored with someone who's a good speaker, someone who's lovely on video, and oh my gosh, I looked at that for five minutes, everybody's going to love that. You know, sometimes the good talkers don't actually help you to learn. I beg your pardon. <laughs> I'm just saying, just saying. You want to have a combination of enthusiasm for the subject, but also a very clear process by which you learn the skills that you need. And that happens through frequent interaction in the online space with the materials. So if I'm making a presentation, every couple of minutes, I should stop and there should be a few questions to make sure that the folks who are paying attention are paying attention and that they got it. If they didn't get it, they'll know because they got the question wrong, they'll go back and they'll re-listen. Another thing that's really important is for folks to have different things to do. Seven minutes of video is quite a bit. 10 is even more. So you wanna have a little bit of video, you wanna have some interaction through, you know, a little multiple choice quiz or think about this, make some comments here. Then you want some reading, then you want some more self-reflection, then you want a project. You wanna make sure that as a learner moves through your course material, they are getting it. And I fear that what happens today is many uh, people who are responsible for getting learning together for companies think, well, they don't have any time, they should be able to learn this in 20 minutes and it'll all be great. And while you can learn things in 20 minutes, you probably won't retain them all that well unless you're going to start doing them. Um, one thing that goes against that, of course, is you can learn how to change a bicycle tire in 20 minutes. But it's because you're doing it right after you, you learn about it. And probably the next time you need to change a bicycle tire, you've got to watch the video again, unless you have really bad luck and a lot of bad, you know, a lot of flats in a short <laughs> period of time. And I'm using that just as an example because you, you've got to learn, you've got to practice, and you've got to continue to learn. And learning can be fun, but it's not easy. Betty, become a bit of a, a forecaster, a prognosticator. As you look at the maybe next five to seven years, do you see some trends that individuals, learners, employees, individual contributors, leaders of people, organizations need? Are there some, are there, where's the puck headed? Are there some insights you might share to say, these are the skills, these are the needs, these are the emerging technologies that are going to displace, disrupt? Everybody should be thinking about focusing on this. So um, I'd like to step back a little bit before I answer that specific question, because I think, as everybody knows, the pandemic changed everything. Uh, it made people much more comfortable with the idea of not always having to be in a place to be able to contribute. It also made uh, the importance of digitization much more right in your face. I guess that's the best way to say it. It really forced us to all recognize that digitization is here. And I think for companies, as they think about their employees, 
it's really important for them to ensure that everyone in their companies is protected from the digitization of the world, that they learn digital skills, that they learn how to move forward, computer science, data science, machine learning. And you might think, no, not everybody needs that. Everybody needs to understand the digital world and needs to be able to move forward in that world. I think that's the most important thing that we're seeing and it's not going away. The second I've already alluded to, and that is leadership. Leadership in a remote world is not exactly the same as leadership when you have coffee together every morning. And so there are many aspects of leadership that we also have to evolve. That's really the, the, the two things that I encourage companies to think about. As far as individuals are concerned, I think it's really, really important for you to know yourself, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at. Don't obsess over what you're not very good at. If you're not a very good project manager, but you are a really good computer programmer, strengthen your skills, strengthen your computer programming, recognize your weaknesses and work with them. If we only focus on our weaknesses, you know, it's really hard to make them better. So I'm a big, and this is an old, old, old uh, mantra. It comes all the way from Peter Drucker. I'm not, I'm paraphrasing, but focus on your strengths and make them stronger so that your weaknesses become less relevant. Beautifully said. Let's talk a bit about you as a lifelong learner, someone who's had, you know, five, six significant career changes, self-disrupted, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, do you think that all skills can be learned online? Are there some skills that you prefer to actually sit in a classroom for four hours or every Friday for five weeks for two hours with other people? What's your kind of philosophy on blended learning, online learning versus live in person? Talk about that from your own personal journey as well as an expert in the industry. So when I started learning, everything was online. That's not true. When I started learning, nothing was online. Um, I didn't use a computer in my work every day until I, um, gosh, until quite late in my career. Yeah. We did a lot of paper and pencil work in the early days. Yeah. Um, and when I think about, can you learn what I learned in those days online? A hundred percent, everything. You, uh, I went to a case study university uh, for my MBA, and I now see what our um, our partners are doing with case studies, and it's absolutely fabulous. It can be done online. Can everything be taught online? I believe so, with some exceptions. You can't teach somebody how to uh, give an injection online. There are some things in wet labs that can only be done in the real world, but everything related to business, to leadership, to management, yes, it can be done online. Is it harder? Some things are. It's not as easy for folks to be on a Zoom call as it is for them to be in the room, to connect. And yet it's better than nothing. And for some people, that's the only choice. So I'm a real proponent of online learning works. 
And if you have the, uh, the huge opportunity of being able to engage in hybrid learning, that's fabulous. But if you don't have that opportunity, you can learn just fine online. Betty, I know you're biased about this, but give me some parenting advice. So my wife and I are parents to three young boys, 8, 10, and 12. Pray for us. Uh, my oldest son's going into seventh grade, and we have a son going into, I think, fifth grade and going into second grade. When they go to college six, eight, ten years from now, is that going to be like how you and I went to college where we you know, got a three-point-something GPA, hopefully. We took the SAT or ACT. We wrote a college admissions. We went and toured five or six schools. We enrolled in a school and moved there and lived in a dorm and studied there and live in-person classes and got our degree from that school and then maybe went to work. What's that going to look like for my three boys five, seven, ten years from now? So I'm not a very good predictor, but Me it's not going to be the same. It's already not the same. Yeah. Um, our students today are on campus, and that's really great. They're on campus for a reason, but they are learning from their dorms. Many of them take online classes while they're, at camp while they're on campus. I mean, it feels like, I'd even take it a step further. It feels like in 2022, post-pandemic, if you can call it post-pandemic, right, it's debatable, is that... The, everybody's opinion has kind of changed. You know, degree, not a degree, part of a degree, four degrees. I mean, it, it seems like before there was a path that most people in the white collar world working for a Fortune 10,000 company had a path they kind of needed to take because their parents told them to or their employers made them to. And it seems like with the democratization of access to information, whether it be through community colleges or technical schools or four-year universities or employers just needing to hire people, and they can teach them the skills, it seems like the fairly linear path of you do this and then you do this and here's how you do this, all that's been blown mm -hmm. up and it kind of now has been democratized to say whatever works for you probably is going to work for you because the work landscape has changed so much. So that's why I'm so focused on stackability. For some people, probably your children, They'll go to school for four years, hopefully only four. They'll get their degrees. I hope that they take something from our career academy so that they really hone specific skills for their first job and off they go. But a few years after that, the world will have changed. When I went to university, I learned how to program in COBOL. Not very <laughs> useful today, but it's something that stood the test of time in terms of its concepts. Another thing that's really important to recognize is that most people across the globe and even in the United States don't follow that standard trajectory. People get stuck, they get stopped, they can't finish their degree, they choose not to finish their degree, and we need to be able to collect that learning and help them move forward when the time comes. Others will say, I just need to get to work. I'm 18 years old, I've got to make some money. They can take an introductory course, they can learn a specific skill, they can start working. The one thing that I don't think is going to go away is the value of a higher education credential, a bachelor's degree, a master's. 
The reason I don't think that's going to go away is that while you can learn a skill and it will be spectacular for that first job, it's going to present a ceiling and you will have to learn more to move past that ceiling. When you look at all of the, uh, the people in ed tech and in technology generally who never finished their undergraduate degree, those are unicorns. Those aren't the typical person. For the typical person, it may make sense to do a skill first, to get some work experience, to settle yourself down. But ultimately, if you want to move up in an organization, it's highly unlikely that you'll be able to do that without a degree. From your lips to my son's ears, Betty Vandenvosch, Chief Content Officer at Coursera. Thanks for your time today. We could talk hours about the future of learning development for everybody. Now is the time to disrupt yourself. Now is the time to take advantage of a changing landscape and invest in your own skills. Same with Chief Learning Officers, Chief Talent Officers who are yeah. investing you know, massive amounts in building culture for retention issues. Thanks for pouring into our listeners and viewers today. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have this conversation. And you're right, we're not nearly finished. Look forward to talking again in the future. We'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite. <laughs>